2: Hi everyone, welcome to episode 181 of the Intercooler podcast with me, Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel, my co-host. This week's episode is a bit of a magazine style show where we cover lots of different topics. We're talking about um, a big event that we were at yesterday at Bista Heritage. We talk about Formula One, the Qatar Grand Prix with Max Verstappen sealing his third consecutive world title. Um, Andrew has been at the Rennesport reunion recently in California, a big Porsche celebration at Laguna Seca and we also talk about our long termers we've got a couple of BMW long termers one that's a new arrival and one that will be departing us very soon Uh, and finally Andrew's been driving an extremely expensive Bentley Um, so he talks about that as well but before we get started I'll remind you all to rate and review the podcast Uh, it helps us if you uh, um, come on we're talking a glowing review um, let's be honest about this. We want a nice glowing review from all of you, please, um, because it really helps us to find a new audience, which just means we can do more and more with the podcast. So please do that. Thank you very much and enjoy the episode. We had a good day yesterday, Andrew. You and I were at Bister Heritage for the Sunday Scramble. Yeah. Um, we had a load of cars there, some interesting stuff, I think. But actually, wasn't it just lovely to meet so many TI listeners and subscribers? It was fantastic.
3: Yeah, it's... <sighs> I mean, we do get, you know, we have, we have a lot of action, interaction with people on the website and on the app um, and in responses to the podcast and, and on, just on social on Instagram on Twitter and that sort of thing. But you, you, it's still all in the virtual world, isn't it? And you kind of feel you're living in a bit of a bubble. And then you actually go out there into the real world where sort of real human beings mm. come up to you um, and say nice things about what you do for a living. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's brilliant for the ego, but it's also, it's just very reassuring. Yeah, it's really, thought, yeah. really... Um, heartened us to see just you know and i know we were in a crowd of like-minded individuals um but just how much love there is for for, for everything that we do out there um and i was um i was knocked out by it really on mm. one event you know, your, 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 our participation aside they've got they set it out in minutes don't they yeah uh, it's eight, thousands
2: of people several thousand it, people.
3: yes it's it's i think it's eight thousand people they captured. Yeah. And it basically goes as soon as I think they've got a membership, and they get advance warning, and then it goes public, and it basically everything just goes in as you know in a, in a shorter period of time as the people can sign up to it. Um, mm. And it is it's, it's so different to a or to any other car event, and it's difficult to explain why it, the, the variety of stuff that is all there is is amazing because they've got such amazing different tenants on site, haven't they? They've got everything yeah. from sort of Formula E teams to people with anvils and pencils behind mm. their ear and white overcoats and and, and that sort of thing. And, and they all bring their stuff out. It's completely classless as well. Um, yep. It's just... Nobody would ever think, oh, well, that's not really for me. Um, no, you'll find something. You'll find a lot of stuff that that's up your yeah, street. Yeah, and, and whoever yeah. you are and whatever your interest is. Um, and... I, I just love the, the only the only problem I had with it yesterday is the first time we've had a sort of like an official presence there, and and so you and I were kind of welded to the stand, so we didn't get to go and look around. I saw no. very little of everything else, but it, but yeah, from what people were saying to us and from what I've seen at previous scrambles, um, I know I know what a great event it is, and um, yeah, all power to them. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, so Vista
2: Heritage were fantastic to us. They put us up um, on a, a patch of really a patch of grass just off the main strip. Um, near to the main entrance so if you were if you walked into the the site you basically had to walk past us yeah Um, and it it meant that we were busy all day long and the cars that we had um, were just sort of crowded with people basically the entire day which was fantastic yeah Um, and we we managed to fill our little space with some good stuff didn't we (laughs) no did Uh, we i thought I, i yeah i thought we did well there. some variety some pretty rare exotic stuff as well we had a um, a Porsche Cayman GT4 RS next to um, a Bentley Batur, uh, which is an un- unusual car. It's one of twelve, isn't it? That Batur worth a lot I of
3: money? One, one, one of eighteen. Yeah, but that one's worth a lot more because it's the engineering prototype. Yes, so it's it's the first one and it's the one that did all the work. And if you know, if any collector ever wanted a Batur, mm. that would be the one that they wanted. Although I don't imagine for a moment that Bentley will ever sell it.
2: Mm.
3: Yeah, um, we'll talk about that car a bit later on. Um, and then we had a
2: Singer Restoration, a DLS.
3: Oh, my gorgeous goodness.
2: car. We, we had it at our live podcast, didn't we? At Henry's Car Barn. It was yeah. the same car. Um, and it was fantastic seeing people crawling all over it and just looking at the details going, goodness me, that is it's beautifully
3: done. It it's really amazing. is. Some people just didn't understand at all. They thought, well, it's a 911. Mm. And you go, no, 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 no. It, it, really, it really is so, so much more than that. And other people who are obviously singer devotees mm. were just crawling all over it and mm. it's, it's the attention to detail it is i, I was I, <laughs> I became quite obsessed with the way they did the guttering on the roof line yeah um, mm-hmm. you know i've never seen it like that before i mean you know porsche have these rather sort of pronounced gutters and if you go to roof they take the gutters off completely and and singer do it a completely different way with this sort of rather wavy little channel thing and, and just everywhere you look there's something to look at if you're a if you're a complete car mm. geek like me, you know, like we are and so, there were plenty of those there i did hear
2: some people saying um talking about the engine and the engine's very special because it's still air-cooled but it's got the four valve head so four valves per cylinder head which porsche never did in period no. on an air-cooled engine but singer with williams advanced engineering have done it um so it was great that people knew that and were sort of spreading the word yeah and when, um, when,
3: when porsche finally decided that they absolutely had to have four valve heads for their air-cooled engine they water cooled the heads and left mm. the block air cooled I mean, they finally went to this was in their sort of Group C days with 962s. They finally went to fully water cooled. But no, actually, you know, there was a long period where they had water cooled heads and air cool and an air cooled block. That was amazing, isn't it? Mm.
2: Um, and then next to the DLS, we had your Bentley blower, the
3: recreation, yes. um, the car that
2: so you not raced. Not at, mine. Yes, but <laughs> <laughs> you raced at Le Mans Classic this year. Are they,
3: put, are they still got my name on the side of it? Which yeah, I, still I bet I, 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 I they just haven't got around to taking it off, but. Um, yeah, I feel I feel a very close bond. I mean, that car and I had a, had a, have an adventure or two this summer. Mm. um One of the, the I know I talked about it on the podcast before, so I won't bang on about it now. But one of the most intense, vivid, and ultimately rewarding experiences of my working life to race that at Le Mans for Bentley at night. But at the time, my goodness, I was scared. Yeah, and actually,
2: I can understand that. Just looking at the thing, it's. It's so unlike anything I've ever driven before.
3: It's got a centre throttle, hasn't it? A crash blocks yeah. and yeah, all all that can be learned. It's the not being able to see. Yeah, yeah. It's the honking down. I mean, it'll <sighs> do. I mean, it was doing one hundred and sixteen, one hundred and seventeen. I mean, it would do. Given enough space, it would do one hundred and thirty before the first chicane. And because they insist, because the car is absolutely accurate down to the smallest detail on vintage headlights, mm. you just can't see. <sighs> And, you know, and you'll be approaching cars that are a little lost in sevens in the same race, which might be doing 70-year-old, you know, miles an hour at most. And, yeah, um, everything else I can cope with, but the, the not being able to see was just utterly terrifying. Anyway, we survived. But, again,
2: again people loved looking over that car, didn't they? They were literally crawling yeah. all over it, looking inside, looking at the dials. Um, it was
3: fantastic to Nobody see. Nobody could believe that it was new. No. Is that right? People yeah, people people, I, I, And they said, oh, yeah, yeah you know, tell me about the old one. I said, it wasn't old at all. It's brand yeah. new. Mm. Yeah. And, went, oh, and then you tell them the story, and they're just going, "That's unbelievable." Mm. And count, they, I, I think what they really struggle to believe is that. And of course, you can because what man has done before, man can do again. But um, I think they just couldn't believe that a car like that could be created in the 21st century,
2: mm. because yes. it's
3: just you assume it's,
2: that it, craftsmanship it has been lost. World, time, is, it? it's it's from you. another world, from another time. Um, yeah. Beautiful thing. And that was next to my new long termer BMW yeah. M2 Zandvoort yeah. blue, it's a baby blue color. Um, again, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But they, we were surprised, weren't we? We thought that maybe the Singer um, would get all the attention or the new Bentley would get all the attention. But it seemed pretty evenly spread out between the five cars. People were having a good look at all of them.
3: Yeah, I think it says a lot about the people who go to the scramble i think it says a lot about the people who listen and read um and watch what we do um and yeah there was a you know i think the color of the m2 attracted quite a lot of attention some Um, of the
2: styling of it as well i did hear a lot of people talking about the styling of the m2 yeah um which is i I understand why um but yeah so we had a good variety between amongst those five cars Um, yeah and it was, I just thought it was fantastic to meet so many um, of you lot, actually, listeners, readers. Um, and I, I was just struck by how lovely everyone was. Everyone yeah. was just sweet and kind and in good spirits. Um, it, it, was, it was really heartwarming. So thank you to everyone who did come up and say hello.
3: I think, um, that, I, I think that place is... Is blessed. I mean, I, I don't personally, but um, if you have a religion and you believe in they've never had. It's, they've never. It's never rained at a Sunday scramble. Well, the next one's in January, isn't it? Yeah, they've never had a wet one. So I, you know, is, so it's almost as if there is this sort of divine entity which is mm. just sort of drawn a little ring around Bicester Heritage and just said, "Okay, guys, you know, on a on a Sunday when you're doing this, we'll we'll look after you." It was it was glorious weather, wasn't it?
2: It was beautiful. Probably the it, last bright, hot, sunny days we've got this year yeah um but yeah so the next one is in january we'll see what the weather's like for that but we're, we're going to be there aren't we we've got you bet. Um, yeah absolutely we'll, we'll be back and we we need to do better than the five cars that we
3: had or at least as well Yeah, we set well, the bar yeah. high but it was quite interesting because we did have some because lots of manufacturers turn up to it not not as exhibits but because you know their people are enthusiasts too and they, they come along and have a look around and they see us and they go oh, what are you guys doing here and that's like an, and i said well you know Come and say your stuff, uh, you mm. know ne- next time, so many of them were going, yeah, 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 so so you know we know where the bar is now, yeah it was. It, it's quite high because I reckon between them, the better the old Bentley and the singer would be worth conservatively what six seven million quid probably, <sighs> although Blimey. value is not necessarily the most important determinant no. of these things, but um yeah, so, so but 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 you know, but we've done that now, and so um yeah, it's up to us to do at least as well, if not better next time. Mm. Yeah, looking forward to it. Formula One, Qatar Grand Prix. Yeah, uh,
2: we knew it was coming, didn't we? Max Verstappen, third consecutive world championship. Um, actually, yeah. it happened on Saturday. Yeah, um, it was never in doubt from really the first. I don't know what first qualifying session, first race of the year. Um, we knew Max was pretty much a shoe in but he's done it in some style.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I'm probably not going to dwell on this. I mean, I know... And it it sounds like... I mean, I understand absolutely why people um, got you know didn't like max much in his early years because he was quite brattish i haven't seen much of that this year um and again it's so easy to be magnanimous isn't it when you're when you're the bloke leading when mm. you when you want, don't have to drive and succeed success breeds success you're so much less likely to get tangled up in something if you're not in if you're not racing with anybody you're so much less likely to have a reliability issue if you're you know if you're not pushing the car as hard as you have to so the better you do the better you do mm. um but I still think that he has carried himself well. I was listening to the the interview that he did on Sky Sports with Karun, um this morning, and he, he just comes across as being a fairly level heavily excuse me level headed guy. Um, but I mean, I'm not sure there's an awful lot to say about his particular performance uh, yesterday because he did what he does. He just disappeared. Um, and I know he had a slow pit stop, and I know the moment. Even the McLarens, to me, are the other story. Yeah, and also, yeah. you know, Lewis making a very uncharacteristic mistake, which he has put his hands up to completely now, didn't at the time. Um, do you think it's significant that Lewis is? You know, it's not the first time he's he's made a mistake this year. Whereas I can remember a time when he was like Max is now, when he was just flawless. I can remember. I would say probably in twenty twenty. So the last year he won a championship, I can remember you and I having a conversation and meet at the, towards the end of the season saying, I cannot think of a single mistake he has made in any practice, quality, or any race, anything um, where you could he's run off the track or he's tangled with somebody else or anything where you could say, yep, that's down to Lewis. Mm. And it's starting to creep in now. Now, maybe that's just because, you know, he's having to try harder. He's in the middle of stuff. Um, but I don't know. What, what do you think? um <clears throat> i think it goes back to what we we're talking about when
2: you don't have an ultra competitive car beneath you mistakes are more likely to happen um, mm. i think he's trying extremely hard to win a race mm. in a car that is a long way off the fastest car on the field yeah on
3: the grid and it must be more difficult for him because he is he is habitualised to win races, Races, isn't he? It's just mm. what he does. You mm. know, no one, so no one in the history of the sport has won more Formula One races than he has. And, you know, unlike, you know, George, who's won one. Uh, and so to him, to him, it is not second nature. To Lewis, he's out of his comfort zone because he's not where he wants to be. And, and given, you know, the frustration he must feel at knowing where he should be, knowing where his talents deserve him to be, it must just be that much more frustrating. And I guess frustration can sometimes lead to errors. Mm-hmm.
2: I th- I think that's ultimately what it comes down to is frustration because he's still at times this season he has driven magnificently he put on a yes. pole in Hungary he, he might yet I mean Checo, Sergio Perez has been so off the boil in the last few races it's bizarre mm. and if that continues Lewis might well finish runner-up in the championship
3: which would be an astounding achievement it really would be and also you, you think about the potential race pace of those mercedes i mean i was you know i i I, have said it before and i'm unabashed george russell fan you know you consider that after that first lap tangle he was last Mm. dead last and had to have um okay he was able to do it under his own safety car but he still you know he had to have come in and have you know he had to do four pit stops rather than three um and he still came fourth so if he could have done three pit stops and he hadn't been dead last Mm. okay he wasn't going to win the race because max had checked out um but i think that mercedes certainly on that track had proper race pace it does Um, it does at certain tracks and and, you know and and obviously the mclaren's oscar and lando did fantastic jobs um but i actually thought for for me george was you know to, to battle back i mean he was just overtaking things left right and center he was just he just stormed through the field and i thought that was that was a great drive um it does, but, yeah. it does have
2: good race pace at certain tracks, that, um, yeah. that Mercedes. I think Brazil is the one. Um, it, we know, certainly in qualifying, and it must be in the race as well, the Mercedes doesn't love high-speed corners. There's a very high-speed oh. sequence at Cota next time out, isn't there? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, around the back, yeah, absolutely. And um, But Brazil, I mean, they won it last season, so maybe they're, maybe that's Mercedes' best chance to nick a win this year. Um, it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, you're so, right. To... So, something,
3: something will have to go wrong. I'm now firmly convinced that yeah. for anyone to win a race other than Max yeah. requires external influence. No one is going to win a race on merit. No, it needs Red Bull to have a shocker or
2: to yeah. have a problem or something. I agree. Yeah. Um, but you were right to mention McLaren because it is astonishing how they have. Do you remember at the start of the season? they were basically at the back of the grid they were
3: yeah. nowhere yeah and then Aston Martin has swapped places haven't they yeah yeah and now the the McLaren
2: it is rapid but i want to talk about Oscar Piastri how cool is he yeah good lad Under isn't he he's a good lad he's um, he's got a, seems a great sense of humor and the boy can drive goodness me i wonder if this is the best debut season we've seen
3: since lewis hamilton in 2007 Poor... Well, I don't know. I, you, you need to go. I mean, and it depends whether you look at it just as sort of um, what's the word? I don't know, but not just looking at data. Mm. I mean, Lewis won three races in his opening season, something think, like that. I think four. Yeah, four. Yeah. He should have yeah. won
2: the championship, really. Um, but Piastri's had two podiums now. He's won a sprint, he put it on sprint pole. Um, he, he's driving that car beautifully. He's also giving Lando Norris a hard time now.
3: Yeah, but Lando seems to be loving it, did not he? I mean, I, I was very impressed by Lando after the, after the race yesterday. He was just taking the piss out of everybody, having to sit down while he could stand up for the interviews. I mean, it was clearly an absolutely exhausting race. Yeah, it looked at um, it, and he clearly had the legs of Piastri towards the end of the race. Mm. Um, but when you know, when the team got on the telephone to him and said, "Okay, just maintain position," you know, he was just going, yeah, "Well, yeah, all right, but why?" Yeah, um, but he wasn't. You know, he wasn't spitting the dummy or anything, and. Mm um but yeah you know, as far as piastri is concerned it's you think of the pressure of basically forget max for now you know as far as everybody else is concerned you're out there you're in front you're in your rookie season you got lando closing on you fast you must be utterly exhausted because that we know we know well from Logan Sargent having to literally mm. f- when did a driver last retire through exhaustion i mean it used to happen in the 70s a bit mm. well, i can't remember the last time i can remember mansell sort of keeling over on a podium. I think Nelson Piquet once didn't make it to the podium. I think. Uh, I can't remember when a driver last retired a healthy car through just sheer exhaustion. So it mm. must have been really, really tough out there. Was I saying I completely lost my train of thought? <laughs> well, um, um, Piastri
2: seemed very cool under the pressure of
3: Yeah, uh, uh, yeah exa- him. exactly that. So it was, you know, absolutely exhausted as he would have been. Mm. Lando closing in on him um, and leading the rest of the field and he didn't he was flawless wasn't he mm. yeah yeah huge credit to him also yeah. in the
2: sprint um on saturday he he knew that max was hunting him down towards the end of that sprint um but he'd looked after his tires and he sort of he checked out just enough to have a cushion that he mm. could roll it through past the checkered flag so i'm dead impressed with piastri at the moment so am i um i think he's i think he's doing brilliantly um, yeah so again congratulations to max we just want to see him with some proper competition now don't we at the front of the field whether that's from his teammate or from another team um i just want to see him in a proper championship fight again because last time that happened in 2021 we got what i think was the best season Mm. ever or certainly Mm. the best season i've ever watched
3: but it's not but it's not going to happen it's not i don't know how long has checo's contract got to go they say he's in for next year um so yeah i mean i if if i was red bull i mean and and you know i know that he's he's a really really good guy but if if you're a team you you need and they need someone who can support max Mm. and they haven't got that and i'm afraid i know he had a bit of a blinder at the start of the season but for you know for too many races now he's just he's just he's not even close he can't Mm. perform the role of a number two
2: yeah but at the moment this
3: season he hasn't had to What's well, the bizarre well, thing about no, it. No, I mean, yeah, but but that doesn't mean that Red Bull wouldn't want him to. I mean, he is, you know, we have been pretty, we were pretty critical of Bottas in his, the limitations of him being number two to Lewis. Well, I don't think Checo's now anywhere near that level relative to Max that Bottas was to, to Lewis. Now, maybe, you know, some people say, oh, yeah, that's because, you know, Max is such an incredible driver. But, you know, Lewis wasn't exactly a duffer, was he? Um and you know also in the past perez has looked better
2: than bottas did we have said that as well yeah he's looked better much better than he has done
3: in the last few races but but but, but, he's so off the boil he's so off the boil something in his head just isn't Mm. it isn't working at the moment i also think from max's point of view if i was max i would want a a much better number two not just because of their ability to support him but there'd be a bit of me which would be thinking everybody's gonna be thinking oh well yeah but you know it's all very it's what lewis is saying yeah but he's never you know he's never had really serious teammates which is rubbish um he has had some it's a bit disrespectful to people like danny rick and that sort of thing but um at the same time I think Max would think oh, I do want someone who will keep me on my toes keep pushing me a little bit mm. I mean not pros a proper threat but just someone who is a respectful teammate so people can go oh blimey you know Max really is that good because at the moment everyone can just say oh it's just the car which yeah. it absolutely isn't I mean the car is obviously incredible but it's not just the car well it's both isn't it um, mm. but yeah I, I agree so I don't think the, the
2: fight the challenge is going to come from within next season or in 2025 um, but goodness me, I hope it comes from somewhere. Uh, I just want to see a great title fight again because there's nothing better in Formula One than a title fight that um, ebbs and flows and goes down
3: to the wire. It's just so exciting. And the next big reg change is not until 26. So we've got two more seasons Mm. of um, continuity of the existing regulations. Um, And, you know, we, we we, we saw under the old regime that Red Bull were able to creep up on eventually rightly or wrongly at 21 overtake Mercedes so it's not as if it can't be done within a current set of rules but it is more difficult um, and who would you expect it to be you'd expect it to be Mercedes wouldn't you
2: well the, the interesting thing for me is that Formula One recently in recent um, years has sort of flipped and flopped between being an aero dominated formula and a powertrain dominated formula mm. so when the V6 hybrid turbo engines came in in 2014 Mercedes built the best one, and they Mm. they swept everyone aside for years. Yeah, 2022, we switched to an aero-dominated formula, and (laughs) with Adrian New and all the other brilliant aero engineers Red Bull have, they moved to the four, and Red Bull and Mercedes slipped back. But 2026 probably puts the emphasis
3: back on the powertrain, Um, and Red Bull are going to have to create their own powertrain with Ford. Yeah, so so it's really really. Actually, it's a really interesting point. Nobody talks about power trades anymore. There were always Mm. those conversations, oh, yeah, Mercedes got so much more power than the Ferrari or anything. You don't hear those conversations anymore. I don't know who's got the most powerful engine on the grid. It's almost as if it doesn't matter. I think they're
2: all considered to be pretty much on a level, um, except the Renault, uh, which, I mean, and they've spoken about this very openly, is down on power. Um, But the the others are pretty much on a par. But yeah, who knows? 2026 might... flip everything on its head Um, but it's a few years away isn't it, a couple of years away Well,
3: let's hope we don't have to wait until then
1: Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ
2: Okay, more motorsport then. Very different kind. Tell us about Sport. You were in California yeah. at Laguna Seca for... So, so It's sort of Porsche's own big celebration, isn't it?
3: Yeah, and I'm not going to bang on about this too long because if you weren't there, you weren't there, and it is um, quite a long way away. But um, I just think it's quite, it's quite interesting an event, event to think whether you could do it, with every, whether any other brand could do it and whether it could happen anywhere else. So Sport 7, as was, it's the seventh one of these they've done in the last 20 years, is the largest festival for Porsches anywhere in the world it's like a the best way of thinking about it is it's like a sort of mixture between the Goodwood festival of speed and the revival festival of speed in terms of the sheer variety of stuff that's there. revival mm. insofar as there's proper racing going on on the track um and it's for basically everything Porsche from single cylinder tractors to their <laughs> current Le Mans race car and the absolutely whole yeah. everything in between um and if you are a porsche fan and i don't imagine it'll become much of a surprise to people listening to this that we kind of are i mean it's it's heaven on earth you know there is there's basically nothing almost nothing i did try and think of cars that porsches that i'd want to see which weren't there and i was down to literally individual cars like a 909 berg spider Mm -hmm. or the 961 the racing 959 but basically everything else was there so, you know, if you if, if you like the Lemoore cars, 904, 906, 907, 908, 910, 9, uh, 90, yeah, 917, uh, 956, 962, uh, we can am cars coming out your ears. IMSA cars coming out your ears. If you're on the road car sides, every kind of 911 that there's ever what, been. Was everything running or was it mostly static? Um well There's a huge amount of running stuff, but if it was mm. running, it was racing. There were a few parades, few demos, mm. but yeah, so you know, where else would you get to see two Gulf 917s being driven as fast as they can properly racing?
2: Mm.
3: Oh, gosh, that is cool. where else would you get to see thousand horsepower Can Am mm. Porsches racing, not doing high speed demos or you know, the sort of nonsense that I've done, racing. Um, and the most, they, those incredibly beautiful race cars they did in the late 60s, the, you know, the 907s and the 908s, these four 500 kilo uh, fiberglass bullets, um, to see them racing. Uh, and also to go and look at all the, all the curios, all the sort of the homemade Porsches, the sort of the off-road rally raid nine eleven. 911s. So there was, was a 1970s thing there, it looked terrible. It was a Targa. Um, and someone had jacked it up, and they, you know, they they they'd made new wheel arches by taking tin snips to the existing ones. <laughs> and but it clearly it was all done out of love. And I just I spent what well, I spend? I was there for three days, um, just wandering around. And also, also, also the people, the Porsche people. I mean, mm. name someone who's associated with Porsche, and they were there. Mm. Um, you know, from the from the very very oldest um, people in their nineties um to current race drivers uh and you know i think i did a list of like 20 odd porsche heroes who were there and they were just wandering around and and, and you know and again i mean i guess like <laughs> in a way like the sunday scramble it was completely classless um you just had to be a fan to feel at home there and mm. and the queues the queues for you know to get people's autographs the queues for the merchandise. You know, hours and hours long. Um, and everybody loved it. And it was, yeah, it was a great, great event. And I was, um, I was completely knocked out by it because I've never seen that. I've seen a festival speed is probably slightly bigger, but it's for all cars. I've never yeah. seen anything like that dedicated to a single car manufacturer.
2: Yeah, so who else could do that? Um, we have to qualify this a little bit because in that part of the world, in that part of the country, if Chevrolet took over Laguna Seca and just invited tens of thousands of Corvette owners and had lots of Corvettes there, they'd fill the place, I'm oh, sure. Oh, God, yeah. yeah, many times over, yeah. But you wouldn't have the variety. Um, you wouldn't have the the richness of motorsport heritage and, again, variety of motorsport. You wouldn't have um, so many different types of car. You'd just have Corvettes. Um, so who else could do that? I, I don't really know. BWM well, I mean, could put on a pretty cool event.
3: Yeah, but it would be... But again, it would be limited in the scope. Mm. I mean, Mercedes is the obvious choice yeah, because they can bring all their pre-war Grand Prix cars and their 50s Grand Prix cars and their modern Grand Prix cars. And also, you know, they've won... Um, they, they, they can bring Le Mans winners. Um, you know, they have a very rich motorsport history and also an incredibly varied um, road car history too. So I think I think Mercedes could do it. It would be a different sort of crowd. I mean, Ferrari could also do it. Um and maybe that is the, but it would it would it would be such a different event if it was just mm. Ferraris. I think it would be, and I don't mean this in a pejorative sense, but I think you get a very different sort of crowd. Mm. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It, it, whatever it would be, and I'm sure it would be wonderful. It, it certainly wouldn't be the same.
2: Mm. No, I agree with that. Yeah, Red sports. So they, they don't know when they're going to do the next one, do they? It's not like no, it's I, not an annual I, thing or a biannual or whatever.
3: There's a bloke called Bruce Canniper, who's an absolute dude and a bit of a Porsche legend. Um, and he's this bloke who makes 850 horsepower 959s. <laughs> um and he was racing his nine seventeen ten his thousand you know and he raced his 935 and he won everything uh and he's a consultant to rent sport mm. um and i was talking to him i was also talking to angus fitton um who you'll know um yeah. who, who is the head of public affairs supporter in north america um or the usa certainly and they both said the same thing yes there will be another one we have no idea when it's going to be because we're just so knackered we want to go to bed <laughs> <laughs> it is i mean angus i know it's basically it, it is Taken up the last 18 months of his life. Mm. Um, and, you know, wow. and, but phew, you try that hard for that long and you get an event like that. Mm. And it speaks for itself. But they've tended to come. I don't think there's ever been less than three years between one. Uh, it was five years since Ren Sport 6, but that was slightly COVID influenced. Um, it'll be a minimum of three before they even think about doing
2: something like that mm. again. Gosh, my dad does sound like it's uh, going to be unmissable when they do it again. Um, all right, long-termers. We mentioned my new long-termer, BMW M2, which I'm writing about um, on the Intercooler app and website. Um, I know you've been knocking about in an M2 recently as well. I have. yeah.
3: What do you reckon? Really good. Mm. Okay, your car is significantly better. I've driven two now, and your car is significantly better than either of the ones I've driven in that it doesn't have those silly seats in it. You've got standard seats? Yeah, just standard seats, yeah, not yeah. the... Some not the yeah, which have this big hard bit right in the middle. And I'm sure if you're sort of young and thin like you, um, they're fine. But if you're old and fat like me, um, they're just a pain in the ass. Um Particularly with a manual gearbox and, you, and you're moving both ways yeah. quite a lot. Yeah, um, it's Okay, I'd still rather have a previous generation M2 comp. Um, See, this, I, is, this is exactly what I'm currently thinking. Um, it's quite a different car, this new one it is quite it's much heavier um it's bigger it's obviously, it's less attractive but okay why it is so good that you're running this car long term is when i say to you i'd ha- i'd rather have an m2 comp that's not actually what i mean what i actually mean is i'd rather drive an m2 comp and it's such a different mm. thing to say mm. i'd rather drive an m2 comp because it's lighter and more agile and uh, has a bit more feel that said um i was in snowdonia and on the anglesey racetrack in the new m2 in filthy weather um last week and it did really well mm. it did i mean it it does not let itself down at all in those environments um so don't think you're going to find it wanting in those regards and the fact that it is undoubtedly more comfortable than the old m2 car it'll be quieter that's what that's why we run these cars over extended periods of time because you can go and read the road test and find out what i'd like to drive but it's always such a different perspective if on a rainy monday morning you look out your bedroom window and you see it there and how does that make you feel mm. if mm. it makes if, if it just kicks off your week to a really good start then it's fabulous but you know and you've got some horrible long journey to do in dreadful weather and you just think okay i'm, I'm basically not leaving home until i get there because i feel so relaxed and at home in it if on the other hand you look out and you just think oh really yeah oh, can't be bothered yeah, yeah okay it might have a thousand horsepower and let the nerve ring in three minutes flat but oh, i just can't be asked mm. because it's such a pain in the ass to live with mm. um and that's what these tests are about and, it's, and that's why i'm really interested to see what you think about you know what this thing's gonna be like over a long period of time it's, you know, it's sorry it's, it's the experience that i've had with this um, yeah, M340i I had, which is very sadly going back to BMW at the end of next week. Um, it's a it's a good car to drive, and we did this, this triple test, didn't we, with the yeah. M3 Touring and with the alpina B3 Touring, and it came an extremely honourable second mm. in that test. Yeah, that is um, live
2: now on both the app and website. It went live on Friday. If you want to go and read
0: that,
3: yeah. Um, and really, its success is down to it's certainly not down to how fast it goes either on a straight line or around a corner successes down to how it presents itself as a usable package over a prolonged period of time and it's just it's just really it just works
2: Mm. it's lovely it's lovely that m340i i i was Mm. i was stunned by it we um we've just changed both our cars in my family and we we have a 320i touring um similar age it's a 72 plate so a facelift car it's a really lovely car but your m340 um it actually rides better it's does it clearly yeah it's a lot faster yeah um, it would be that i'm surprised f- it rides better yeah it does well it's on adaptive dampers which i think must help um but it's i just i think it's a really really brilliant mm. car i'd love one actually yeah you know maybe a couple of years down the line i think it would be a fantastic well as you know everyday car and long yeah. distance car, no, I, car. I,
3: I, i've driven it to bosnia and back i can yes. confirm it's, its credentials in that
2: regard yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so this, yeah, this M2, it's in that very that baby blue colour, Zandvoort blue, which I think the colour's growing on me. The styling is still a bit challenging. What I was talking to a lot of people about it at Bista yesterday, um, and most people ha- have their sort of reservations about the way the look, the car looks. And yeah, not I one agree, of them. some of the styling is very blocky and sort of heavy-handed,
3: particularly the sort of rear three-quarter. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. I find the front bumper quite challenging. No, I agree. But um, there was, and the, and, and the colour doesn't
3: help because it does make all that stuff. It shows it all off, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Um, and but
2: the, I was having interesting conversations with two people about the way the car looks. One I was following in as we drove into Bicester. He was in a Caterham R400, and he said that on the in his mirrors on the road. Okay, forget the sort of the styling elements, but the stance of the car, the proportions, the the way it seems to sit on the road, he said it looked brilliant. um, Okay. Which is, it's actually an important thing because, yeah, when you see a car moving at a decent speed down a road, you see it in a very different light. Yeah. um, Compared to when it's just that static. And another interesting conversation was with Adam Gompertz, Rev's limiter, um, who is a friend of ours. And he was a car designer, trained car designer. And it's so interesting to watch him looking, poring over a car because he's seeing totally different things to me. You know, I I look at a car and go, OK, it's in the case of the M2, um, sort of three box shape. It's got wheels here and it's got slightly messy styling at the front. That's what I see. But he was really poring over it and looking at how, um, you know, the surfacing down the side of the car, down the doors, there are two lines that sort of intersect in a slightly awkward way. You know, I hadn't bloody spotted that until he pointed it out to me. No. but, so yeah, but it's pretty really d- clever.
3: Designers tend to talk in this, well, they talk in designer language, don't they? Yeah. yeah um, they do. Which I've never been very good. Uh, I've always felt a bit inadequate when talking mm. to those guys and they start talking about um, all those sorts of things. So I've never really understood what they're talking about. But um, yeah. <laughs> it's just It de- still, still adds up to a car which ain't great to look at. Yeah,
2: sadly. Um, so this one has got the manual gearbox option which is now a cost option. It's... According to the BMW configurator. That's cheeky, isn't it? It's
3: 1200 quid according to the configurator. So it's not even a couple of hundred quid, you know. No. And and that's not because it costs them 1200 or even 500 quid more to fit it. It's because they think they can get away with it. Yeah. (laughs) It's just Um, cheeky, isn't it? Because, I mean, it it always used to be, well, in all cars, the manual was standard, then you pay for an auto if that's what you want. Mm. Because an automatic gearbox is inherently more complicated, bigger, heavier, and more expensive. On the other hand, and I wrote about this in the piece introducing
2: the car, how many performance coupes with a powerful pure petrol engine, no hybrid, can you buy these days for less than
3: seventy grand? There's not can many. You can, can you get a Cayman GTS? No, you can't. Not, the not a GTS, no. I mean, there will be... Well, no, but, 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 uh, yeah, but if it's less than that, it, it won't have a naturally aspirated engine. Oh, but you know that's not part of the. That, the so, yes, no, that okay. wasn't part. No, okay, so
2: fine. yeah, so you could you could have a Cayman of some sort or a Boxster. Yeah. Um, you could have a Toyota GR Supra, um, a Mustang, of a Mustang. some sort. You could have a GR86, although you can't order one at the moment. Um, they're so limited in supply. So just to be able to still buy a car with that of that basic layout and configuration yeah. is a good thing. And actually, to the point where it... Certainly, when I first drove the car, it felt unusual to be driving a modern, brand-new performance car with a stick. Mm. It was it was odd. It's good, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I love that you can still do it, but... Yeah, not for much longer, I fear. No, I know. Um, yeah, so I'm enjoying the car at the moment. You're right. It's it, It's one of those cars that will... It's really worth running as a long-termer because... My first impressions when, I, when it first got delivered here and I took it out around the block and then a couple of days later when I went a bit further in it, I was thinking, oh, I don't really know what this car is all about. It, it felt so different to the previous one, um, so different to what I was expecting. But as you've already suggested, I suspect over time the fact that it's actually pretty spacious, um, the fact that it is comfy, it's undemanding in normal driving, mm. um, it's really quick. All those things, it's got loads of kit, um, all those things are going to make it, I think, quite a pleasant car to live with. And oh, it's God. only by I... actually doing so that you get beneath the skin of a car, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I've no doubt at all that you'll get on with it very well. Mm, yeah.
2: So I'm going to be writing about that every few weeks on the app and website. Um, so if you want to know more about what it's like to live with the M2, you're going to have to tune into those. Um, a little bit about the Bentley Batur. Again, we've mentioned this one already. Um, yeah. One of eighteen. What exactly is it? Because it it looks like a Continental GT with bespoke carbon bodywork. That's basically it, isn't it?
3: Okay, so it's one of these uh, very limited series. So the Bacalar was the first one, which is the open uh, one, isn't it? Which is the open one, and it's part of these. But, but yeah, and and also you know the. The old well, the not old old blower, um, which we were mm. talking about earlier, is you know I think they made twelve of those they 're part of these very, very limited series runs of extremely special cars that Bentley makes. Uh, the point of the batter um, is firstly it 's kind of a clue to bentley 's future styling direction and mm. um, there 's a new completely new design language um, that it uh, sort of showcases, and it 's much more what's the word um i think it's more conventional but it's more sporting and it's more i think it's slightly more aggressive um i really like the way it looks there's, there, there's some people on twitter who'd be who've been going on it looks like a genesis i really like the way the genesis looks so i don't think really it's a genesis of, wow. yeah <laughs> um so uh, who knows um but under so it's got a carbon body Mm. um and and the point of it from a customer's point of view is a i suspect the number one point of it it's it'll probably be a bomb-proof investment for them because they'll be so rare um but it's uh it's a sort of it's a design exercise and particularly on the interior i think there are like two panels you can't touch otherwise anything goes so mm. you, you basically create your own car cabin with it, mm. uh, and you can have any material um, rendered any way you like, and you just work with. So I think the sort. Of, I think it was one point. Was it one point six five, one point seven five million? The sort of nominal cost for these things. Actually, that's it's almost an irrelevance because mm. it just depends um, how long you spend with the designers, um, how much weird and wacky stuff you want, and how long it takes for it all to be prepped and that sort of thing. So I imagine the actual um I i'm, I'm sure, but i know that no two butters are alike and i imagine the high low of uh what they cost um their customers you know might vary by as much as a million pounds i mean who knows yeah. uh, in terms of the sort of the good stuff obviously the carbon body uh saves a lot of weight it's got no rear seats either um they've turned the engine up to 730 horsepower and it's uh, the 12 isn't it yes yeah, the w12 it's the ultimate iteration of the w12 Mm. which is being Um, retired isn't it yeah um with an avalanche of torque um and uh it was actually it was my wheels home from uh, from 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 the the sunday scrabble yesterday um and you and i uh were both quite tired by the end of it because you know we were on our feet all day and having a great time and i got in it and i was thinking well you know and, and, and this car it's the engineering prototype so it's it's had a life, mm. um, and it's left-hand drive, and it's, it's actually got this big red button, which I was told not to pull up <laughs> the car was literally on fire. Oh um, so, so, so I'm not, because that just literally just shuts everything down. Uh, and, and all prototypes have to have that. It's a standard part of, mm. uh, I think it's a required part of, um, prototype kit. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I was quite, tired. Uh, my goodness, if you want something to keep you awake, it is so ridiculously fast. It's, that- I've never driven a Bentley like it. It just, I suspect it's because it's done fifteen, sixteen thousand 16,000 miles, so it's nicely loosened up. <laughs>
2: um,
3: it didn't feel like 730 horsepower to me. It felt like about 900 horsepower. It was, I, I was laughing it was so fast. I couldn't oh. believe how rapid this thing was. It just, it just, it went from one place to another place, by I, I just left out all the places in between the two. It was. So have, have they tried to make a supercar out of the Conti GT, or is it still a Grand Tourer? It's still, it's still very much a Tour, it's still very much of that. It's a Conti GT, it, it, just in terms of how it performs, it's a Conti GT turned up to about 14, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, okay. Um, so, um, yeah, it was. I, I was surprised by how rapid it felt, um, and it was yeah, it was a great thing to, um, to tool about it. Um, and they're going to come and take it away again today.
2: Pity. Mm. It did get a lot of attention.
3: It because did. I guess that purple paint is, is part of it, isn't it? Yeah, I um, wish I wasn't quite so colour blind because everyone was going on about the page. Some people thought it was absolutely incredible, some people were less complimentary about it. Um, and I'm just sitting there going, Yes, 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 great, wonderful. I'm not <laughs> <heard what laughs> talking no about
2: it. <laughs> uh, it is a very vibrant purple colour. Okay. Um, I'm sure it photographs brilliantly. Um, okay, well, we are running out of time. Um, we've got a listener question coming up, but before that, I'll remind you all just to subscribe or follow to this podcast whatever app you're using hit the subscribe button or the follow button uh it means you don't miss an episode but it helps us a lot as well so please do do that um so the question comes from tom roberts tom thank you which car's appearance is most at odds with how it drives
3: oh blimey can i can i go
2: can i go a bit older you can you're very welcome to i'm going a bit newer so yeah that's better
3: okay um x350 the jaguar xj from about 2004 Ooh. it looked just like the one before it mm. but it was i think it was the first car ever to have a full aluminium monocoque because Audi's mm. had always had space frames it was i think the body so the monocoque i think was 40 percent lighter yeah than the steel one it replaced and it was something like Twice as stiff. Wow! It was an absolute engineering revolution, mm. um, and it drove accordingly. It was hundreds and hundreds. It's like something like 300 kilos lighter than the car it replaced. Even the, despite the fact that it was a physically much larger car, and you drove it, and it was absolutely incredible. But to look at, it looked like something that you you know you'd see parked up in the you know in the in the chairman's slot at the local you know country yes. golf yeah, yeah. golf course. It was so state. So this was this car was designed by a bloke called Jeff Lawson, who was a lovely man. He sadly died um, well before his time, um, and it was his last car. Um, and Ian Callum came in, but um, I think I mean you know Ian would need to speak for himself in this. I think that Ian thought that the car probably needed to look a bit more dynamic, but there wasn't a great deal he could do to it inheriting the project at the time because it was basically done Mm. and so there was some detail work on it but it does look very very traditional it looks Mm, very retro it looks like a 1960s xj6 and yet the way that it drove it was it was so it was it wasn't just of its time it was way ahead of its time Mm. um so yeah and and and, and i've always had a bit of a soft spot for them because they're just so incongruous you look at one thing and you drive another and they're the Mm. same car
2: Good answer. Um, I'm not that satisfied with mine, but I think I can make a case here for the BMW i8. Um, just because it's, it's so low and swoopy. It's so supercar-like. It really does look like a supercar. It has that presence, that look to it. But actually, it's comfy. It rides. Yes. It's got light steering. Doesn't have a great deal of grip. Quite skinny tyres. Yeah. Um, and I think if you asked most people who look at it who didn't know what it was, they'd probably assume it had a big old engine wouldn't they yeah not a 1.5 liter yes. from, <laughs> from a mini yeah, yeah. um yeah. so maybe yeah,
3: that qualifies Good, call. good um, call. Yeah.
2: so tom thank you for your for your question keep them coming um and we'll end next week's podcast with another listener question and thank you very much for listening
3: bye